Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Voices from the Real World. Profile Theater is a theater company located in Portland, Oregon. Profile Theater centers the season around a season-long featured writer. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. Community Profile is an affinity space built around the structure of a free writing workshop. Participants in Community Profile meet, write, support, share, and bear witness to other people who may have walked a mile in their shoes. In Community Profile, we feature writers who have won awards and had numerous books published, as well as writers who are making their first foray into expressing themselves on paper. The result is writing that is singularly personal, provocative, powerful, moving, funny, tragic, beautiful, and that encapsulates the entirety of the human experience. What this podcast does is give those writers, those creators, a chance to share their life stories and their writing in a public forum so that we can celebrate and appreciate victories that have been won and challenges that have been overcome by people whose lives you may recognize or be experiencing for the very first time. Greetings, Earthlings. Today we are here with the illustrious Tess Ronig. Hello. Nice to be here, Bobby. All right. Right on. Uh, I'm super excited about this, um, you know, because I guess we're getting towards the end of the Community Profile year, and you have been um, a steady regular. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's been really great just being able to share my writing and listen to other folks' writing and all the great mentors that we've great. been able to learn with. Yeah. Um, and I... Uh, Apologize, and I think we've already talked about this by now. But when you, you know, when you first got into community profile, I did not realize that you were a theater artist yourself. Yes, yeah. So I'm I'm an actor. Um, I've been acting since I was young. Um, I started out in my hometown in Missoula, Montana, um, with Missoula Children's Theater, um, and that was kind of where I. I started, and then I got a little bit disillusioned in high school. I had a drama teacher who didn't cast me in a play because of my disability, and that was not great. Um, so I ended up studying music in college, and so I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Your casting, your, your director in high school didn't cast you in the play at all. Yeah, he didn't cast me at all because he had too much movement planned for this specific play. <laughs> And he told me that. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not like just speculation. He he actually. Told but me you're that. in school. Yeah, I know. I know. It was <laughs> it was wild. I didn't understand. I mean, I think he just wanted to. Looking back, I think he wanted to give me like a realistic view of what the industry is. You're in school. I know. <laughs> I know. I was a kid, but he was um, he was a complicated man. Um, I, I did learn some things from him, like, but, you know, he he had some hangups. When did you decide you wanted to be a theater artist? Well, um, so I moved to Portland in 2013, and I was just kind of, um, it took me a while to find my way. Um, I wasn't really making much money doing music, um, and so I... Decided I, I needed to expand uh, what I was doing artistically. Um, and theater was kind of like the natural choice. Because um, I'd always loved acting and uh, 
So I ended up auditioning for Pata's in 2018. And I got cast in Teenage Dick at Artist Rep. Like, oh. uh, pro- like a half a year later. and With, with Big Josh Hecht as director. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is how I met Josh. Right on. Mm-hmm. Right on. Um, but you said uh, theater was kind of the natural choice. Not everybody would say so. There's accounting and nursing, all these other stuff that you could do would make, probably make more sense. That's true. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm a creative person mm-hmm. and I like I'm not happy if I'm not doing creative things. Right. Um, and that was a really that was a that was really important to me. in when I moved out to Portland, because before that I was working in customer service. And it was just not fulfilling me, and I was I was not happy. My mental health really took a turn for the worse. Um, so, like doing something creative um, is what I needed to do. Well, that's super clear, and um, and that's the best way to make those decisions, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And so, uh, what happened after teenage dick? Um, so after teenage dick, I. Um, I got an agent. Um, I'm with Ryan Artists. Um, and then I was cast in um, a photo shoot and a short film. Um, that was my first time acting on camera. But that was really cool because I also got to um, work with Yanni Berkshire again. Oh, right on. Who I worked with on Teenage Dick. So yeah. I, love, I love how small the Portland acting community is mm-hmm. because, you, you know, you get to see a lot of your friends and – and I, I, I feel like I, I feel the need to explain for anybody who didn't see the show. Teenage Dick is about young Richard III. That's why it's called that. Yes. So. High <clears> school <throat> modern retelling of Richard III. <laughs> just to cl- just clear the, clear the air there. Yes. Um, and so, uh, what brought you to Community Profile? Um. So I had heard about Community Profile, I believe, last year when y'all started, and. I was just really busy. I had a lot going on in my life. Um, I'm also a teaching artist at Fame Academy. And so at that point, I just didn't really have time to get involved when you were doing the in-person sessions. But then the pandemic hit and it was like, wow, I suddenly have more time. Hmm. And I I mean, I'm still working at Fame, but, um, you know, I did have more time than I had before. So I ended up... um, joining and um it was really great cool yeah cool uh, um so you're from missoula montana mm-hmm. um how did you pick portland do you still talk to your family do they do they come out here yeah i do still talk to my family they come out and visit periodically they actually came out about a month ago um and it was really good to see them um we've uh we both i have my vaccine um, right my on. partners have their vaccine and they have their, my parents got their vaccine too. So. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, big culture change from, from Missoula to Portland. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in Montana, there's nothing that really prepares you for like living in a city. I'd been to cities before, but I'd never lived in one. And so, um, yeah, Portland, um, it, it it was a big eye-opener. It taught me a lot. Um, I learned a lot more about 
about social justice and anti-racism in moving to Portland. Um, I also, you know, learned a lot about Portland's racist history, which I, I had no idea. Yeah, me I neither when I here. first came here. Yeah, like, um, but yeah, I, it was, it was definitely a culture shift and, but it was a good one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful I still live here. Um, cool. You know, cause it, it is hard to hack it out here. It's expensive and, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, just in, in seeing kind of how politically, um, conservative my Montana has become like, and I guess it always has been sort of, but it was more, it was more purplish when I lived there. Right. Um, but they've just become way more extreme, um, since Trump and yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's scary. Uh, it was, it was, it was scary. I think, um, a lot of the country got pushed to the right in mm-hmm. a way that they hadn't been before, you know, um, it was funny when I, uh, when I, the first time I came to Portland, I had no idea about his racist history anyway. When I found out, I was like, why? There's there's no black people out here. <laughs> what would you have against us? You know, anyway. Um, well, cool. You know, I'm glad you're, you're, you know, finding your place and you're finding your people and finding your art. Um, and you're going to share a little bit of that with us today? Yes, I am. Uh, so the first thing I'll share is um, some writing that I actually did in Community Profile. Um, I don't have a title for this, but it's, it's, um, it's about mental health. Um, so here it goes. Right on. Growing up, I was taught to be tough. This meant not crying, complaining, or otherwise expressing myself in loud, uncomfortable ways. While this mentality made me incredibly resilient to the fucked up world we live in, it really stunted my emotional development. To be fair, there were exceptions for extenuating circumstances, such as the death of a family member or a pet. I know my parents meant well and just wanted to prepare me for adulthood. Still, intention is not often consistent with impact. But this wasn't the only thing stunting my emotional development. At 16, after being severely depressed and anxious for months, my mom took me to see my primary care doctor, who laid out my three options. Pills, therapy, or a combination of both. Being a short-sighted teenager, I chose pills. After all, I was too busy with school and extracurricular activities. And anyway, who wants to talk to a stranger about feelings? Ew. (laughs) My doctor recommended Effexor, which was a brand new antidepressant slash anti-anxiety drug that had just been approved by the FDA. She said she would have just given me Prozac, but she wasn't convinced it would help with the anxiety. I think she briefly mentioned that technically it was only approved for use in adults, but she wasn't concerned. Effexor was the best fit for my symptoms. Never mind that to this day, it remains approved for adults only. One really great thing about my parents was that they gave me a lot of autonomy when it came to my medical treatment. This was a progressive, beautiful choice when it came to healthcare decisions around my cerebral palsy. So many of my friends who grew up with disabilities similar to mine did not have this autonomy. And some of the results of those choices made for them were devastating. Getting to make my own choices was far more helpful than not. But when it came to my mental health, I really wish my parents would have forced me to go to therapy. After about two months and three dose increases, I started to feel better. 
my symptoms were slowly becoming more manageable. Things kept improving month after month until most of my symptoms were gone. Based on what I know now about antidepressants, this would have been a great time to either try to lower my dose or taper off completely to see if I could maintain my mental well-being without the help of drugs. I did no such thing. I was terrified of what might happen without my happy pills, as I lovingly referred to them as. My doctor was also encouraging me to stay on them long term due to the family history of depression and because there's no cure for depression, we can only manage your symptoms. This was when things really got interesting. Very gradually, my feelings started to disappear. Not just the bad ones, but the good ones, too. I became oddly aloof. My mood just had sort of flattened out. A little over a year after I started taking Effexor, my great-grandma Clara passed away. Even though she had been living with cancer for longer than I had been alive, and her death was expected, it should have impacted me more than it did. My maternal and paternal grandparents had passed away 13 years earlier, but back then, I was too young to really understand the finality of death. At 17, I understood that great-grandma was gone and never coming back. And I felt nothing. Not sad, not relieved, just nothing. I remember very little about her funeral service. Apparently, my mother and I sang a duet of her favorite song. I have no recollection of the performance itself, but I remember what the sheet music looked like. I remember her burial up at my father's family's ranch in Stockett, Montana. It was cold, even though it was June. A strong wind cut through my light jacket and made me shiver. Mostly, I remember wanting and needing to cry and grieve, but not being able to. At the time, I had no idea why I couldn't cry or process my emotions. So, reflexively, I blame myself. I thought it was because there was something wrong with me, that it was some deeply rooted character flaw I would never get over. I began to wonder, am I a sociopath? Will I always feel indifferent to the world and the people in my life? Fuck, I'm a terrible person. Who the hell can't cry at their own grandmother's funeral? My lack of feelings continued until my great-aunt Gail died unexpectedly from a brain aneurysm, only three months after Grandma Clara had died. She was in her early 60s and seemingly healthy. She worked out every day, ate right, and had no medical history of aneurysms or any other serious health problems. It was a t complete and total shock. Upon arriving at her funeral, in the same church my grandma's service had been in, I completely broke down. As the service went on, I cried harder. Looking back, I was probably grieving both Aunt Gail and Grandma Clara. I think the shock of losing Gail so suddenly forced my nervous system into overdrive, and only then I was able to access my feelings. <clears throat> A few weeks after Aunt Gail's funeral, I went back to being numb. The next time I was able to cry was when my horse Sugar died unexpectedly in the spring of my senior year of high school. Horse riding was something my dad and I did together, as a way for me to get physical therapy, and as a way for him to live out his cowboy dreams. But it was so much more than that. It gave me a deep emotional bond with my dad, and with my horse. She always took good care of me, 
and anyone who wrote her. I had been writing since the age of three. When she died, there was a lot of shock and cortisol in my system, so my body was forced to release it. And that's what I have on that so far. Woo! That's quite a story. Um, that line, uh, your parents' intention did it all, not, was not always consistent with impact. Oof. Such a tough thing with parenting, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, I don't blame my parents at all. Like, God, I mean, being older now, I have so much empathy for parents. Like, because, mm. like, no, unreal. what unreal. you don't realize when you're a kid is that, like, you know, often they have no idea what they're doing. There's no blueprint. Yeah, there's no <laughs> blueprint. Like, it's, you know, you're ba- you're bound to, to, to mess up your kids in some way. But, I mean, ulti- ultimately... My parents did and, and do love me very much. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. It sounds like it. Really beautiful piece. Thank you. Really beautiful piece. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Tess Ronig. I'm Josie Seed, one of the mentors in Profile Theater's community profile by and for black women. Do you want to cultivate your own creative voice and use writing as a springboard for conversation and fellowship? Check out Community Profile an affinity space exclusively for black women that offers community building through monthly writing workshops with award-winning writers and exceptional teachers. There is something undeniably powerful about exploring one's own creative voice in a dedicated affinity space just for us, by us. Due to COVID-19, we aren't meeting in person at this time, but we are meeting online and have found it to be a rich experience for participants. The program is 100% free and 0% pressure. You'll meet people like you of all ages and backgrounds who are also there to work on their craft, share their stories, listen to yours, and together find a little bit of wisdom, support, and love. For more information, go to our website, profiletheater.org, and click on the Community Profile tab and see why one recent participant called this program a life changer. And we are back with Tess Ronig and Voices from the Real World. Congratulations on creating your whole new life that you've built for yourself here. Thank you. You know, and this um, song you're going to play for us comes out of that new life, yeah? Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, this is actually a song that I wrote a couple years ago. Um, and it's called Assumptions. It's um, about being disabled and a non-binary trans person. Um. There's a lot of assumptions people make about you uh, when you have these intersecting identities. Um, and um, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just really uncomfortable. So this was kind of my way of processing my feelings around that. Um, and also, fun fact, um, I started testosterone like six months ago. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know what that is. Testosterone. So it's a testosterone. I'm sorry. Yes. Got you. I'm with you. Yeah. So I'm doing hormone replacement therapy um, to masculinize slash androgenize myself. I'm I'm non-binary, so I'm not I'm not a trans man. I'm not going for, you know, full on looking like a man. But I I definitely want to appear more gender ambiguous Um, and. Uh, you know, so far my experience is great. It's it's done wonders for my mental health. It's made me feel a lot more at home in my body. Um, yeah. Um, 
So, um, but this was written before that. <laughs> um, and I'm singing it in a different key today. This is the first time <laughs> I've sung it other than in rehearsal okay. in this key. Gotcha. So it's a, I guess, a little bit of a premiere. <laughs> right on. your box little girl don't show yourself to the world you'll make them uncomfortable don't make them uncomfortable your body's not yours you see it belongs to society the system decides your label based on a lie of a binary fable the shape of my body, both in between and neither. I love my boobs and butt and cunt, but not the assumptions, not the assumptions, not the assumptions that come with them Don't take up too much space You're too slow, you're in the way You're inspiring for how you move You're inspiring because you move Your body's not yours, you see People use you to think they're free your existence makes them feel better about their sad lives. You're objectified. I am more than my disabled body. I'm not an object of pity. I love Perceive, but not the assumptions, not the assumptions, not the assumptions that follow me. I can't waste any more time suppressing myself so that others can be blind to the fact that the world isn't black and white. There are many different colors in this life. I am more than my disabled body. I'm not an object of pity. I love how I move, feel, and perceive, but not the assumptions, not the assumptions, not the assumptions 
happening in that song um yeah what a sentiment what everything um there was so much uh, um about uh the the line about people using you to make them happy about their sad lives i was like oh that, that whole section um uh i <laughs> As as you can tell, I'm at a loss for words, which is not always happen with me. Um, but I thought that was a really incredible storytelling, for one thing. Thank you. You know, really incredible storytelling piece. Um, and I felt like some of those traps that people walk into, I've already walked into a few myself just in this podcast. Um, uh, so thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, that was one of the most intense moments we've had on this podcast so far. You know, Thanks. really strong stuff. And, you know, along those along those lines, um, because we are about at time, but I would love to hear, like you talked about being a non-binary um, trans, you know, as you said in the song, you know, um, neither and both or, you know, uh, um, what is something like uh, that you would like the people who listen to this podcast to come away from with that song about people like yourself who kind of like walk the in-between? Yeah, um, I would say just to society at large, don't make assumptions about gender. Like when you don't know someone, um, it's, you know, it's best to ask. Um, I mean, also just like good good tips for just socializing and meeting people in general, inter- introducing yourself with your pronouns I didn't actually do that at the beginning of this, but I use they, them pronouns. Um, and so just like getting into the habit of stuff like that, um, it really just makes it easier for trans people to be in the world um, when cis people are also modeling that behavior. And by cis, I mean cisgender, um, which means uh, you're assigned gender. Um, you identify with your assigned gender at birth. Um yeah, so maybe step away from those assumptions. Um, I know it's like human nature to kind of be um, in the habit of like categorizing things and people. But if you can consciously stop yourself from doing that, um, it it really does make the world a better place. Right. I feel like so often the human nature is to do the thing that makes it easier for the individual, like themselves. Uh, and sometimes the little bit of extra effort can make all the difference. And it's and we we learn that it's not actually going to cost you as much as you think it's going to cost you. So just, you know, I like that. Uh, I know it might be in human nature to do this, but don't do it. I think that's that's pretty clear. Cool. Well, that was the fabulous Tess Ronig. Am I saying your name right? 
Um, it's Ronig. Ronig. That, that was the fabulous Tess Ronig joining us. Uh, thank you, Tess, for coming in. Um, it's been so great to have you. I hope that we'll uh, have you on again one day, you know, and... Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, can I can I make an, a quick announcement? You can make a quick announcement. So I pitched a web series idea to Artist Repertory Theater, <laughs> and they are going to help me with the writing process and the workshopping process. So I'm going to that's going to be part of the Mercury Three Company. And I just want to say thank you to Artist Rep. Um, it's going to be about a non-binary trans person who um, started transition and didn't tell anyone in their conservative family <laughs> um so uh like it's semi-autobiographical i did i did tell certain members of my family gotcha yeah all right yeah well, yeah thank you yeah thank you. um what's it gonna be called um it's gonna be called in plain sight excellent um we'll keep an eye, eye out for it in a year yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to come on here and uh, once the script is done and maybe read some of it. Or Let's see whatever. if we can make it happen. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Tess. And that will be it for this week's com- uh, Voices from the Real World. Real people telling their real stories. Thanks, Sam. Awesome. And that is it for this edition of Voices from the Real World. Voices from the Real World was put together by the creative team of Jamie M. Ray, Lion Producer, Robert A. K. Gagno, Sound Engineer, Rodolfo Ortega, Composer, and was recorded at the Willamette Radio Workshop in Portland, Oregon, which exists on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kaflamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them and we honor their descendants who live on. And I am Bobby Bemea and this is Community Profile, voices from the real world, real people telling their real stories. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Community Profile or Profile Theater, go to profiletheater.org slash communityprofile. To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Voices from the Real World. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Write me at bobbyb at profiletheater.org. One love and peace out. Peace out.